Today, we're in a, starting a new series, you heard Jeff say it already, called God's Property. It's three weeks about God's creation of sexuality and, and what the Bible says about that. We're going to talk about honoring God with your body today, as the scripture says. Next week, we're going to talk about how to protect your home, yourself, your family, um, because we are being bombarded by the media these days. And uh, I want to give you some, some scriptural help, but some very practical help next week on how to protect your home. And then the third week, I'm going to be talking about what the Bible says about homosexuality. Now, that's a controversial thing these days, I know, but Jesus was full of grace and truth, and, and what I've discovered is I can't really talk about what the Bible says about homosexuality in snippets. I mean, if you give three minutes here in a sermon and three minutes there in another sermon, you might sound like you've got greasy grace in one sermon or legalistic in the other. To be holistic, to approach it the way the Bible does, I need more time. So I'm going to take about 45 minutes to talk about God's compassion and grace and God's truth concerning these things as well. Uh, I I know that uh, some of these things aren't popular in our culture, but what's popular isn't necessarily what's right, and what's right isn't necessarily what's popular. Years ago, when I was running from the Lord and did not want to be a pastor, uh, I eventually surrendered, and immediately I said to him when I did, uh, on my knees, uh, where no one could see or hear but me and the Lord, I said, God, for my whole life long, I'll try to preach what your word says without fear or favor. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not in this for a popularity contest, and you'll see that as uh, probably even today, you'll see that. Um, but but the, the Bible has plenty to say about all this, and the problem with the church is we're not saying much at all. I mean, here's what the church has said through the years, and they didn't mean to. Uh, it, it just come, it came out wrong. They said, sex is a filthy, dis- disgusting, I'm sorry, let me try that again. Sex is a filthy, disgusting, immoral experience and save it for the one you love. Well, I mean, I mean we need to talk more than just that, right? And we've, we've sent a confusing message from the church and so we'll try to clarify a little bit about what, the, about what the Bible says. Let me pray. Father, for this series and for this day, would you come right now by your Holy Spirit and touch our hearts? Lord, we're all in different places. Your word says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your word says that your grace is offered to every one of us. And Lord, I pray that there would be no condemnation today or in these next few weeks. But Lord, perhaps what your word speaks of as conviction would be appropriate, that we'd be convicted of, uh, of sin. And Lord, we know that your heart is just to bless and protect and, and give boundaries for safety. And Lord, we know uh, that you're so concerned about each one of us and you'd never do anything to hurt us, only to help us. You are the creator of all human beings and you have given us your manual for how it should all work. It's called the Bible. And so Lord, we're gonna look at your manual today and we're gonna see what you say about how it should, you, you, we should operate, how these bodies that are yours should be used for your glory. So help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Honoring God with your body. It comes from 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. What? What? Think about that. You thought you were your own, perhaps. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That's for all believers. Therefore, honor God with your body. So if this is right, and the scriptures always are, 
then our bodies are not ours to mess with. My body, your body, is God's. You gave it to him when you accepted Jesus as your personal savior. And you are now his temple. We're gonna let you unpack that in your life groups with the question this week. What's it mean to be a temple? What it means is you are now indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And so everywhere you go and everything you're involved in, you're taking the Spirit of God with you into those circumstances and scenarios. And so you'll talk about that in your life groups this week and I think it'll be a blessing as you unpack that and, and discuss it. But here are four truths that I want to start with this morning that come from the Bible concerning sexuality. And the first is this, run from sexual immorality. It doesn't say turn away from, it doesn't say walk away from, it's a little more urgent than that. Run. I couldn't run if I wanted to right now. I played in the staff uh, game this week with the boys that won the state championship and I, I can barely walk normal. I couldn't run. But, but the Bible says, run away from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Well, let's talk about that. But before I do, let me tell you this. There is a myth in America. There are several things. The, Colossians 2.8 says, be careful lest the vain philosophies of this world pull you away from the basic principles of Christ. So I don't know if you're aware, but there's a lot of vain philosophies that are pervasive in the American culture. Here's one of the lies in our culture, and it's happening in the American church. It goes like this. The myth is all sins are equal. That is not true, and we're going to look at that. Uh, some sins are way more damaging than others. For instance, if your teenager's on the phone and you hear them say, my mom, and you say, hey, 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 I'm not here, I'm not here, and they go, well, I'm sorry she's not here, and you hang up, that's probably a little white lie. I mean, it, for sure it is. It's probably not the best thing to do. But that sin versus this sin, first-degree murder, is one worse than the other. Absolutely. Anybody who's logical can tell you one is way worse than the other, though, though you could make a case that both are sin. And so Paul goes out of his way to talk about sexual sin and let us know, hey, this one's a little more serious. These kinds of sins cause a lot more problems than other kinds of sins. And so let's look at what he says. You say, well, for sure, let, let, let's, let's see. The word body here refers not just to the flesh when it says your body is a Lord, um, but to the whole being and personality. So that's, that gives us a little more perspective. We know that other sins also affect the body like gluttony and drunkenness, but no other sin affects the memory the personality, the soul, like sexual sin. Now, I, I, um, I tend to be a little bit more graphic than, than others do talking about this, but since it's so pervasive in our culture and the music, which I'll talk about next week a little bit, and, and, and movies and all this, we're just getting hit on every side and we're starting to accept things we shouldn't accept because it's so pervasive. So what that means is that we're getting a lot of information outside the church, but not near enough inside the church. And that's why I want to talk straight to you today about, about um, these, these things. But, but there's, there's, a, there's a saying that men will use sometimes when they're talking about their exploits with women, and men do this, the, the wrong kind of men, and they'll say, I got a piece when they're talking about sexuality. And, and I'm going to tell you something, that's absolutely true. Because they got part of the heart, 
and the soul and the mind because it's an intimate act reserved for marriage and something happens beyond the physical act where feelings are released and emotions come forward because no other sin affects all those things like these do. And that's why Paul's saying, listen, be really, really careful. I can't tell you anything that's caused more divorces than, than sexual sin. And because a spirit can be so wounded and so hurt because all the personality and all these things that I'm speaking of are involved, that's exactly what Paul's trying to point out. Be really, really careful about these things. These sins also bring disease to the body. It can deeply affect a personality as someone becomes withdrawn and feels worthless. And I'm telling you, suicide has happened because of these kind of things. How deep is that? Affecting all the emotions. Harm physically, harm spiritually. So you can see why Satan gladly wants to use the temptation of sexual sin upon believers. He knows the power it has to destroy. And what does he come to do? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's why Paul says, don't walk away, run away. I don't, I, I don't like heights. I have a fear of heights. Um, I prefer to call it a keen awareness of the consequences of falling. That's the way I like to, to, uh, to deal with that. But I remember going to Astoria where they have that huge thing you go up on and, that, and then there's, you're walking around, a rail, the rail's about this tall. And man, I mean, I'm there with my teenage kids at the time just kind of doing this around the building, you know. Okay, I did it, and then we're down, you know, that, that sort of thing. But I, I don't like being up there because it's pretty dangerous. Now, have you ever noticed, any of you sit in the front, how I hang my toes over this, over this thing sometimes? I'm pretty familiar with the space here. But here's the deal. It's two feet so I, I figure if I fall, it might be embarrassing, but, but I'd, be, I'd be okay. But when it comes to sexual sin, let me tell you what God's trying to do today. For, he's trying to rescue people who are, who are at a point right now, uh, uh, potentially. See, it's impossible to come together like this and not have just a number of people who are dealing with sexual sin or temptations because it's just really the reality of the way it works in life. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And some people have walked up to the edge, and it's not two feet, but it's... It's, it's just a cliff that when they fall off, they're going to they're gonna die. There's going to be devastation and destruction. Here's what's happening this morning as I speak. The grace of God is coming to people and saying, move away from the cliff. And, you, you know, when are you addicted? When are you, when are you drawn into that adulterous relationship? How close... When do these things actually happen? At some point, there's a point of no return, right? Like if I'm standing on a cliff and I'm just edging out there and I'm just you know, letting the restraint go a little at a time. Now, right now, I've got about a little over half of my feet over the edge here. But pretty soon, I'm just edging up thinking it's not so bad. And then I'm on, I'm on my heels here now, and I can't quite do it. And if I don't back up, there comes a point where I, I cannot, and bam, I am gone. And I am here to tell you today that destruction, that death and pain happens from sexual sin and move away from the cliff. Every one of us need to, need to combat the temptations, but some are in a place right now where God's sole purpose today is to deliver you from the destruction that the enemy's plan. And God's so gracious that if you back away, he'll save you from those consequences. He doesn't want you to go through those consequences. 
we live in a world that has adopted a philosophy that says as long as I, I go as far as, I don't go as far, rather, as sexual intercourse, I'm okay. Now, that happened a few years ago with a highly visible thing in the media where we, we think sex is only intercourse now. But that's really an erroneous definition of sexuality. I'm going to read you a, a definition in just a moment that I think will help us. I'm sorry to have to do this, but it's the culture that we live in. You have to get specific about it because there's a bunch of lies that the devil's telling that have to be addressed. This is the definition that comes from the Greek word that is translated, we read it, called sexual immorality. The word is pornea. It's the same word that you get pornography from. Uh, it's a definition given in that word by Donald Stamps from the Full Life Study Bible to explain what this Greek word means, pornea. And here's what it means. It describes a wide variety of sexual activities before or outside of marriage. It is not limited to consummated sexual acts any intimate sexual activity or play outside the marriage relationship, including the touching of the intimate parts of the body or seeing another person's nakedness, is included in this term and is clearly a transgression of God's moral standards for his people. That is what sexual immorality is. Don't believe the lie. I'm telling you, high school kids all over America are believing the lie that it's not sex until it's sexual intercourse. That is a lie from the pit of hell. These things are sexual immorality that I just read about. And God says, stay away. God says, run away from them. And some people say, you know, you hear it in, in high schools these days when it comes to uh, sexual immorality and homosexuality and they, they'll, they'll say it's all, it's just natural, you know. Why would God say no to something, you know, it's part of his creation, is natural? I, I would just say this to that. It's natural to poop your pants too, right? Uh, but I wouldn't recommend it. I would, I, would, I would caution you to exercise restraint because your friendships, so you just find them uh, more active and easier, even just, just a work atmosphere will be a lot better if you don't poop your pants, okay? And so just because it's natural doesn't mean there shouldn't be some restraint. It is appropriate to exercise restraint in that case. It is even more appropriate to exercise restraint in this case. And here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. God's will is for you to be holy. What? Where, where is that when preachers preach today? I know there was a generation before us that talked about holiness so much that everybody called them legalistic, but I'm just telling you this, that's in the Bible. Those preachers a long time ago didn't make it up. They might have overemphasized it. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't vouch for people in every case. They might have made it legalistic, but nevertheless, the wholeness of the scriptures tell us that God's will is for us to be holy. And then it goes on to say, what is that? Well, part of it is staying away from all sexual sin. That's what it says right there. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who did not know God and his ways. Would God ask us to do something that we were not capable of? When he says stay away from sexual sin. I'm telling you, he's good. He would not ask you to do something that you weren't capable of. I would add to that this. You have Jesus Christ living in your heart. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says the grace of God that leads to salvation teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. Grace is more, it's more powerful than we know because it doesn't just forgive, it enables us to overcome. That's the grace of God too. It teaches us to say no. 
And I'll, I'll add to that this. There are people who don't know Jesus that can say no to this stuff. They've made mistakes. It's cost them. They pull back from the cliff and they've done the right thing without the help of God. How much more should we be able to with the help of God? Because it's best for us. Because he loves us. Because he wants to help us. He won't ask us to do something we're not capable of. He won't ask us to do something he won't help us with by the power of his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. You know, there's, there's, there's victory there too because a lot of people have thrown it off. They're forgiven. And I want to put, put these sins in two categories. One is resolved. There's, there's no condemnation here. There shouldn't be guilt if, if you've once done this, but you've asked for forgiveness, you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, you've been forgiven because of Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross. Don't let the enemy beat you up if this is something that's behind you and you've, you've been forgiven, you've been blessed because you know the forgiveness of God, you've been washed clean and made new. Receive that. That's resolved. Now there's another category that's unresolved. And that would be ongoing sin. If that's happening, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and yes, guilt probably is appropriate because you'd be guilty. Condemnation is never appropriate. But the word shows us that when we get off, we're guilty of sin, right? Guilty. And the word shows us that we can be forgiven, that God loves us and he'll help us. But here's where you get in trouble. When it's willful, continual, deliberate, that's a, the, you're in trouble there. When you choose a lifestyle of sin and say, I don't care what God's word says, you may make excuses in a hundred different ways. He understands my weaknesses, whatever it may be. But when it's willful, continual, and deliberate, your soul is in danger. Some people would say you've lost your salvation. Others would say you were never saved because otherwise you wouldn't continue in a lifestyle of sin. But both, almost all camps in the ranks of theology would say when it's willful, continual, and deliberate, you're in trouble. And so those are things that we need to consider. Verse, it says in verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Isn't it awesome that God does that? Put on your new nature. You're doing away with the old, but the new is coming. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And there are those who say, well, how far can I go? You know, if I'm gonna be safe. Well, first of all, the premise of the question is a bad one because you're looking for the farthest point, it it appears. Um, You're asking, and it most likely means you're looking to go somewhere sexually outside the boundaries. So so let me answer that question. How far can I go? Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Well, if there's not a hint, there shouldn't be an act. Of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. How far? Not even a hint. Romans 13, 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Decently as in the daytime means you can go as far as you'd go right here in daylight in front of everyone, all the believers. And unless you're a serious pervert, you're not going to do any of that here. Not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't even think about it. The Bible says take, thoughts, take these thoughts captive that set themselves up against the basic principles of Christ. Not a hint, don't think about it. 
God, why does God say this? Because he's against sex? No. God created sex. God created it pleasurable. God created it with a plan that is an awesome plan. What we're talking about is perversion. That's going, and here's what the enemy does. He flips God's plan, and it's, perversion is the reverse of truth. I think it's perversion to say that sex outside of marriage. It is perversion according to the Bible. Between a man and a woman, sex outside of marriage is, is sin, and it's perversion. But it's also perversion to say that sex inside of marriage uh, shouldn't happen. And our culture kind of gets into that. You know how the sitcoms talk about it's boring to have you know, sex in marriage, and they, that's a perversion too because there's where the plan of God is with freedom right there and safety. So it's perversion to call good, bad, or bad, good. That's, that's perversion. And here's a video that kind of helps us understand that God just is trying to protect us from the consequences of the perverse thoughts that the culture tries to throw before us. Here, watch this. Enough. I'm gonna go. That's a really bad idea. You know what's a bad idea? Waiting around anymore. You know, I'm bored out of my mind. I, this is no, this is no way to live. Man, we still got plenty of supplies. See you, buddy. But there's STDs out there. Oh, huh? Sharks of tremendous dimension. All you had to say was they're big sharks. I'll use protection. Here we go. I'll use protection. You're trusting your life to a piece of rubber? This is a shark repellent, I've been told, and it's also 95% effective. Yeah, well, you know what's 100% effective? No, I don't. What? Not swimming with sharks! Everybody's doing it. Everybody already did it. They all went out, they swam away, and they never came back, so I'm pretty sure they made it, okay? Yeah, or they drowned, or they were eaten by sharks! You are too negative. How much longer do you want us to wait? Well. The plane dropped off this note that says they'll be back in a week. That was like seven days ago. They were not coming back. Do you see anything or hear anything? I like my chances better out there. Yeah, well, they also dropped off this pamphlet that says right here, your chances of lifelong maritime bliss are quadrupled if you just wait here. I'm a big boy, okay? I can make my own decisions in life. Goodbye. Yeah, what if you have a baby? A what? From, let me finish. What are you talking about? What if you have a baby jellyfish come up and sting you? Do you know how much work it is to take care of a baby? <coughs> jellyfish sting? Are you ready for that kind of responsibility? Where do you get this stuff? We're done. Think about your future wife! Bye. Your children! Don't swim with the sharks. Back away from the cliff. There are consequences 
And God doesn't want you to have to pay those consequences. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you hurt. Second thought here, we'll go faster in these next three. Adultery destroys your life. Adultery is when you're married now, you're in a marriage, and it's, and it's still the same definition of sexual immorality that would apply that I read earlier from Donald Stamps. But adultery is sex outside of marriage when you're married. And here's what the Bible says. Listen to these consequences. Can a man scoop fire into his lap? And it works for men or women, either way. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So it is, so is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Adultery destroys your life, destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. Now, I can tell you through the years, I've seen shame and disgrace for people that had no idea that the consequences would come that would be so embarrassing and, and, and so harmful. And God says out loud in the scriptures, he sounds an alarm, be careful, be careful, be careful here. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Nothing outside of that marriage is supposed to happen. And listen to this. I, there are people who don't believe this. I'm, I'm, it says, for God will judge the adulterer. Now, I know God's slow and patient to allow people to repent. But nevertheless, at some point in this life and eternally, it says, God will judge the adulterer. I know people want to take that out of the Bible, but I'm telling you, I didn't write it. Remember, I made this commitment to say what it says to people. I'm not here for a popularity contest. I care more about you being well and staying within the boundaries than I do about you liking me because I want it to go well for your life. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. How? I don't know, but it's a bad deal. When? I think he's merciful and, and, and he'll forgive you. I think if, if people will say, God, I'm sorry, move away, he lessens the consequences because he's so loving. But there are consequences for this and here's the deal. It really, really hurts families. It really, really does. God's not against sex. He created it. We're gonna talk about those safe boundaries in the final point this morning. But God, the creator of all good and perfect things, has told us that there are unsafe ways to be involved in sex that will hurt us and damage others. And one of those is adultery. Romans 13, 9, it's a commandment. Do not commit adultery. That's sex outside of marriage in any way. When you commit adultery, your world will collapse. The Bible says that which is done in secret will be exposed. Even your finances, listen to this. Does this sound like child support and paying lawyers? Strangers, and it's talking about, this is the context of this, is, is uh, immorality here in Proverbs 5. Strangers will enjoy your wealth and what you work so hard for will go to someone else. You know who wins when it comes to divorce? Lawyers, they're the only ones. They get lots of your money and everything is divided and everything gets harder and, and God's word is just trying to protect us from the pain that happens in a relationship, from the devastation that happens in every way. I find it interesting that the media and quite often preachers want to talk about, and I think it's probably the most appropriate uh, 
passage, uh, or, or part of the passage to emphasize in, in uh, John 8, I believe it is, verse 11, uh, it's talking about the woman caught in adultery. And what, what is emphasized mostly is the part, who condemns you now? And that's an awesome part of, of the scripture. I mean, I love that God uh, doesn't want to condemn us, but he wants to save us and forgive us and embrace us and help us. But you ever notice the media will say, well, people are throwing rocks, but they never say the rest of the story. Lots of times preachers never say this. Here's, and here's what I'd recommend today as we talk about elder, or adultery. I want to emphasize this part of this passage because it's appropriate, appropriate to emphasize different portions at times. He said, who condemns you? She said, no one, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. Why isn't anybody saying that these days? He said to the woman caught in adultery, leave it now. You're forgiven, but leave your life of sin. Because here's the deal. If it hurts you before you got saved, it's going to hurt you after. If there are consequences before, there'll be consequences during and consequences a whole life long. Trust becomes a major issue. It really does. Well, God says, stay away from this. Run away from it. Third thought this morning, pornography brings pain. One of the lies today is there's nothing wrong with just looking. Let's see what the Bible says. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. Pretty much if you're looking at pornography, whether male or female. And I guess there are a lot of women who are into it today. Surprising numbers. But, but the whole point of looking at it would be lust. Right? That's what you're fulfilling. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Well, he's not meaning literally, or we'd have a lot of one-eyed people in this world. Um, What he's saying is, understand how severe this is. That do everything within your power to pull away and, and move away from that cliff. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's serious. And those are the words of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 6, 25, do not let lust in your or rather, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Lust is that longing look. Lust is not logical. If you give that lingering look, then the enemy finds fertile soil to plant his seeds of destruction. Job 31.1, where do we go? We go here. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Next week, I'll talk about ways to provide safety, covering, accountability, and, and, and protection uh, for families, for self. And I hope you'll, you'll come to hear that next week because it will be some real practical help. But King David, I, it's interesting as you look at 2 Samuel 11, verse 2, that he got up from his bed one evening, he walked around on the roof of the palace, it says in verse 2, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. There was the look. They didn't have pornography, but that's a pornographic moment right there in David's life. And he lingered there. He stayed there and he called for the woman eventually. And that pornographic look turned into an action that devastated his family. I know God forgives sin, but I just want to tell you, um, and I, I, I don't know that this is a comprehensive enough look and you need to be careful with this kind of statement, but, but nevertheless, there's, there's at least some truth and you, you can think about it. The glory of David's ministry never reappeared after that fall. He had pain and heartache through his family from then on. 
And um, did God forgive him? Yes. But did you know God can forgive and the consequences still come? I mean, I mean, if a guy uh, murders someone out of anger, you know, perhaps that man uh, committed adultery and he caught him and was so angry he murdered them. Well, God will forgive him for the act, but what would the consequences be? He goes to jail for a lot of years. You still pay consequences even though he forgives you. And, and, and so that's why we want to be careful. The trust with the family, the trust with the kids, uh, the pain and the heartache, it's, it makes it harder. God can meet and do wonderful things in those families. I don't, I don't want to deny that because we see his miraculous touch. But it definitely makes it harder your whole life long. And God's saying, please listen to me and be careful. Here's what pornography breeds. It breeds discontent. You'll not be happy with the way your spouse looks. You'll have an unrealistic expectation. Let's not forget that that's a graphically enhanced 19-year-old who's being abused, most likely, in the pornography anyway. We're looking at a young lady whose life is being messed up. And we're entering in with that if we do that. But then we're, we're destroying the contentedness that comes with sexuality in our own marriage. Your eyes are to be reserved for only your wife and only your husband. And that's the plan of God. And anything that goes beyond that, like pornography, will lead and breed to uh, discontent. And then lust. You'll want to do more. You'll want to see more as time goes on and, and you'll, you'll, you'll eventually be hooked. When are you hooked? Second time you look? Third time, fourth time, fifth time. At some point, you step so far that bam, you're gone. I don't know what that point is. But I know it comes quite often for men. And we just need to, to, to be careful to put roadblocks uh, and accountability up so that we can stay in Christ and what he wants because that lust will, will lead people to doing more than they ever expected they would do. It will breed sin. That lust will lead to an action. What's wrong with looking? The problem with looking is it all gets worse and eventually you act out. If you don't believe me, read James 1, 14 and 15. I'll read it for you in a moment. The lust leads to sin. Sin brings destruction. Destruction of intimacy with your spouse. At first, you won't want to be with her because you're satisfying yourself somewhere else. And then after she finds out, she won't want to be with you because it cheapens everything. And that will lead to pain and relationship and angst and eventually the destruction of a, of a marriage comes when people act out. Who, who's saying these things today? Are you hearing them much? You're not hearing this much, are you? It's all true. It's absolutely true. Sin brings destruction. And then it brings alienation from God. Meaning sin destroys intimacy with Jesus as well. It creates a chasm. It creates space between us and God. It creates that feeling that David had of just feeling terrible and groaning within, the Bible said, that he was. That his bones were aching, the guilt of all that sin. The Bible says that God says, come close to me and I'll come close to you. And what he means is, get rid of that sin and come into my presence and let me forgive you and bless you and help you and give you a different path, a path of blessing. So I wrote a poem. You know I'm famous for my poetry, right? Any of those people who have come to the Unknown Hero Awards, you know about my poetry. And here's a poem I wrote. I, I'm just short and sweet and to the point with my poetry, and someday I'm going to publish this stuff. Here it is. When pornography gets in the head, then someone else gets in the bed. 
True intimacy will soon be dead, destroying love with the one I wed. There it is, just plain and clear for you to see right there. That's how it works, really. Here's that scripture I spoke of, James 1.14. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. First it's a thought and it's a look but eventually you will act and that's why you have to step away from it. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is all about covering and blessing. It's all about God helping, not hurting today. I like what one fellow said, God didn't come to take away your fun, he came to take away your pain. And so we move from those three things. Now I'm gonna tell you where real freedom is found. I'm going to tell you about real sexual freedom. Freedom is knowing where the boundaries are so you don't cross them and get hurt, right? Freedom is knowing you got all this space where you can do things, but you know where you get hurt. And when you go beyond God's boundaries, that's when you get hurt. Freedom is not getting hurt. It's knowing where the boundaries are so you're not hurt. God's way is marriage between a man and a woman. That is the context for sexuality, the only place a man and a woman in marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone. Whoop, 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 whoop. The culture doesn't say that, right? Doesn't say that. It says everybody's body belongs to themselves. It's not what the Bible says. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Now listen to what the Bible says when it comes to sexuality and marriage and see how the culture says something different. The sitcoms always make sexuality and marriage look like an idiotic thing that never works. It's just, it's bunk, it's lies. It's, it's, it's funny and they do it, you know, and I, I get that. But I also get the underlying premise of destroying the truth of the word of God that sexual intimacy in a relationship of a marriage between a man and a woman is the best place, not the worst place. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now what am I about to say? I've gotten more emails about this through the years. And I'll emphasize it every now and then than anything else. I, this is where I get people who don't like me saying something. Evidently, if you're not together with your husband or your wife on a regular basis sexually, then you put them in a place of greater temptation. That is what the Bible says. Let me read it again. Come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The world says less sex in marriage not, it's not good sex, that's what should happen. But God says, you know, I, think, I, I want you to have a really healthy sexual relationship. Now, he wants you to come together on a regular basis. I am not going to define regular for you today. I'll leave that up to you together mutually to, to figure out. The world says sex and marriage is boring. And what they don't know is they're the ones that are missing out on the best thing about sex. And it's this, intimacy. When you're with a number of people through a number of years, 
it decreases your capacity for intimacy with one person. So when God says, here's what God says, I want you to come together and I want you to really like each other. I mean, read the song of Solomon and read about a real love story and you'll see that God's no prude. This Victorian view that the world has, it's, it's bunk. God created sex. God created it for the purpose of pleasure and intimacy in marriage, not just procreation. And when you're friends, here's the deal. Let, let, me, let me try to lift up God's ideal to you. When you're friends with the one that is your spouse, when you enjoy companionship, when you have reserved your eyes and your heart for only each other, when you walk in relationship in such a way that you're really committed to each other whole life long, come what may, and then you come together sexually in that context, there is an intimacy that is unbelievable. That is the best sex possible. I'm just telling you, the world doesn't know about intimacy because they've never had it. And if they would just try it God's way, they would go, are you kidding me? The truth is, God's way is the best way. And if we get outside the boundaries, it makes it harder to have that intimacy. God invented sex. Sex within God's guidelines offers pleasure, satisfaction, intimacy, and wholeness. The best sex is sex God's way. Now I'm gonna read this next passage to you out of Proverbs. I don't think I've ever done it before. I want to show you God's not approved. I'm not going to offer commentary. I'm just going to show you this is the Bible. Proverbs 5.18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. I'll just leave that at that, okay? We'll just leave it right there. I, I, I really hope that what happens because of this sermon is that, is that hope comes alive in hearts. I, I mean, I think you'd be surprised, those of you who are thinking, oh boy, I'm not doing very well. I think you'd be surprised how many people here haven't done well in their lives in this area. But then you'd be surprised how the grace of God forgave. And then you'd be thrilled to hear how God helped them to overcome and you'd be thrilled to hear how they're trophies now and for long portions of their life they've been faithful to the Lord. I, I, I used to be a youth pastor and I did, I did scores of camps, thousands of kids. And I can't tell you how much pain there was at the altar when those kids would come down talk about the pornography that they're addicted to because they found it in dad's closet. Talk about the pain of the divorce because the underlying root was adultery. And, and God just wants to stop the pain. That's all this is about. He wants to prevent it. He wants to stop it. And I'd have to say to some of those little girls and to some of those guys when I was speaking to them, look, it's true you can never be a, a physical virgin. That's gone. But you can be a spiritual one. You can be brand new. All things, the sin can be washed away and you can be made just like new. And I want to talk about that forgiveness for a moment. David said in Psalm 51, take away my sin and I will be clean. 
See what God can do? Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart. You can still be pure. And make my spirit right again. Do not send me away from you or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Give me back the joy of your salvation. Keep me strong by giving me a willing spirit. God didn't come to condemn. He came to forgive. And here it is. 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, here's the blessing, as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Our sins had separated us from a holy God. We couldn't enter into his presence because he's altogether perfect. And he said, how can I make a way so that their sin can be forgiven? Did you know that God must punish sin? And when you think about the consequences of sin and how it hurts people, you know why he doesn't like it, right? If you've been violated in this way where someone sins sexually against you and your heart's been wounded, you know why God doesn't want this happening. You know the pain of it. So God can't bless sin. And he had to make an atonement. Someone had to pay the price for our sin. Who paid it? That's why he sent Jesus Christ. He became the ransom for our sins. It wasn't a lamb that was slain for a year. It was Jesus that was slain for eternity. The spotless lamb who walked with no sin, who lived a perfect life. And when he was hanging on that cross, every sexual sin that any believers ever committed had fallen on him. The price of the sin, pain, death, and destruction fell on him that day so it wouldn't have to fall on us. He paid the price if we will take his forgiveness and grace that he offers. If not, we still bear it. But Jesus offers grace. And what kind of deal is that? A new creation, brand new in Jesus Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. Forgiven. And a healthy, vibrant, wonderful life in front of us because we follow Jesus.